the Lord be with you. I hope that you'll meet me in the book of Romans, chapter 8, as we look together today at verses 1 to 4. And what we have here is one of the most glorious chapters in the whole Bible. While the whole Bible is the Word of God and it is all inspired and it is all authoritative, it is not all equally clear. But in Romans chapter 8, we have a glorious and clear statement of what God has done for sinners and what the Christian life is all about and what it's all building up to. And so I am so excited to, to walk through this chapter together. To take a bird's eye view of what's happening through the book here, we could summarize chapters one to five as establishing the doctrine of justification by faith. We are declared righteous and right standing with God, not on the basis of anything that we have done or said, but wholly and entirely on the basis of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for sinners. And then moving into chapter six and seven, we have Paul establishing the doctrine of sanctification having been declared righteous before God on the basis of Jesus' righteous act on the cross for sinners and dying in our place. Then we're looking at what does it mean to be united with Christ? What does it mean to be transformed and changed into the image of Jesus Christ so that we start to live more like Jesus and sound more like Jesus? That's what we see in chapter six and seven. When we come to chapter eight, we have those two lines, justification and sanctification, converging, converging in a glorious and beautiful way. And in chapter eight, we see what the Christian life is pointing to, and that is our glorification, union with God the Father in his very presence. But today, we're transitioning from chapter seven to chapter eight, and I invite you to read with me picking up in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In chapter 7, we have this picture of the war within, that even when we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, even when we have been declared righteous before God, even when the penalty for sin has been dealt with, we are still battling against the power and the presence of sin in our lives. And it's nothing short of all-out war. And we have Paul 
confessing that this is his own struggle, his own story, that he knows what is right, he knows what is good, and yet he finds himself doing the very things that he hates. It's as though he doesn't have control of his own life. And we see in in chapter 7, verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who will deliver us? Who will rescue us from this war? And the answer comes in chapter 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The verdict is in. And it raises the issue for us. What do we do with guilt in our lives? We all have guilt. We all know that we have said things that we wish we could take back. If we could just get those words back. We know that we have done things that we regret. We know that there are things we wish we had done that we didn't do. There are things that we wish we would have done more often that we can't go back and change now. Guilt over our misdeeds, over our sin. What do we do with that? Romans 8, verses 1 to 4 provide the answer, the antidote. And the antidote is the gospel. The antidote for your guilt and my guilt is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what God has done in his life, death, and resurrection. Now, it's important, though, for us to understand some of us don't feel guilty enough. We haven't really wrestled with conviction of sin. Sure, we know we're not perfect. Nobody is. But we haven't really been convicted that we, in sinning, we, in doing things we should not have done and leaving undone things that we should have done, are guilty before a holy and righteous and awesome God. And you don't have to answer to me, and I don't have to answer to you, ultimately. Ultimately, we have to answer to God as judge. He is judge and jury over your life and mine. And before him, we're guilty. There's no escaping that verdict. And so we need to feel that. We need to know that. We need to remember that. But we also cannot allow guilt to determine our lives because we can become so guilty and we can feel so guilty that it takes over our thought life. It starts to govern our thoughts and govern our lives and it can paralyze us so that we're stuck and we feel like there's no way that we could come to church. There's no way that we could hold our head up. So how do we strike this balance? Here's what I want you to remember. Through the gospel, which is the antidote for our guilt, God shows us how we can remember the sin for which we are guilty without remaining in that guilt. We do need to remember what we have done. 
We do need to remember our transgressions and we need to learn from them. But we need to hear the good news. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't remain in our guilt. We don't live in a state of guilt if we are in Christ Jesus. So to see how this is the case, we start with what has God done? What is the verdict? What has God done? And for that, we look at verses 1 to 2. Notice the therefore. Anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, you need to ask, what is it therefore? And in light of our bondage, in light of our just condemnation for doing the things we know we should not do, therefore, there is now, you want to underline that now, now, this marks a new period inside of redemptive history, a new period inside of your life. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And when Paul uses the word law here, he's not talking about God's moral code. He's not talking about the Mosaic law, as he's been describing that in Romans chapter 7. Here, law means principle, an operative principle that we can understand. The law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free, has liberated you from the principle of sin and death. And that is that God has laid down his law, his moral code. He has said what is right and what is wrong. And we, because we are in the bondage of sin, know that law. We try to obey that law, and yet we can't. We can't. Why? Because we are enslaved by the power of sin. And the result of all that is death. That's where it leads. That's your story, and it's my story. And we have to acknowledge that. And this is what it means to remember our guilt, that we are guilty before God. But if we belong to Christ, then we've been set free. There is now no condemnation. So we remember it, but we do not remain in it. God has set us free. God has brought a not guilty verdict in your life and my life. And if that doesn't blow your mind, then you don't understand these verses. These are verses that should be etched into your memory. These are verses that you want to underline, you want to highlight, you want to commit to memory. You should memorize. If you're not already memorizing something, I commend this to you. You should memorize Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And to understand this, I, I want to... <clears throat> make a confession of sorts to you and tell you a story about a time in my life when I became vividly aware of my guilt. And it happened sometime when I was in middle school. I was into skateboarding, believe it or not. I did dabble for a few years in skateboarding. And I was the pastor's son at our, our church and so I was there every time the doors were open and it was I think a, a Sunday evening when we would had church service and uh, everybody else had dispersed but I was there with my friend 
And we had brought our skateboards to, to church that evening, and we had the brilliant idea that the church fellowship hall and the tile work on the church fellowship hall floor would be an excellent place to skateboard. And to make it even more cool, we thought, you know, these columns that are, are lined up here in the, in the fellowship hall would, would make for great obstacles. We can kind of weave in and out of these columns. And so we started doing that and just had the best time. We didn't have a care in this world. We weren't worried about it at all. And after we'd wrapped it up and decided it was time to go back home, we took a look in the fellowship hall and realized that everywhere that we had ridden our skateboards was now marked up with black. And you could trace our lines all over the church fellowship hall. What to do? Well, we came clean, we told my mom, and my mom's solution was, well, you're gonna have to clean it up. And you're gonna have to make a phone call to tell the man who had recently done work on that tile work to make it clean and sparkly. So we had to do both of those things. We got down on our hands and knees and we scrubbed and we scrubbed and we scrubbed late into the night, as I remember, and I had to make a phone call that evening. I called that gentleman and confessed my sin to him. And I'll never forget, he did not condemn me. He didn't have any harsh words. He said, well, you've cleaned up your mistake and I trust you've learned from it. And that was it. And he never brought it up again. He never held it against me. That was it. So did I remember that guilt? <laughs> you bet I did. To this day, I will never forget that, that guilt that I felt for my transgression. But do I remain in a state of guilt? Do I obsess over that? Does it paralyze me? No, no. Because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And his posture toward me and his words toward me gave me the assurance that I didn't need to live in that guilt. I didn't need to live in fear of him. I could be in his presence. I could talk to him. He wasn't going to hold it against me anymore. It was done with. It had been taken care of. The floor and all the scuff marks had been cl cleaned up. And I could live into that reality. And in a similar way, in your walk with God, in your relationship to Christ, we need to know that you have been set free from that law of sin and death. That's what God has done. Now, how has God done that? Look at verse three. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. How did God do it? He sent his own son to do for you and do for me what we could never do for ourselves and what the law cannot do for us. The law establishes what is right and wrong, and the law condemns those who do not obey what is right and wrong. It can't save us, but Jesus came. God's own son took on human flesh 
to do for us what we can never do for ourselves, to perfectly fulfill the law of God, to live a righteous life. And notice very carefully how Paul says his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He doesn't say in the likeness of flesh, meaning that Jesus was merely God without being fully human. No, he came as one who was and is fully human, born of the Virgin Mary. But he also says that he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He didn't come in sinful flesh. Unlike you and unlike me, he didn't have sinful flesh. And again, we're not talking about our literal flesh. We're talking about our life as human beings that is weak and that is corrupted by sin and that, in a sense, it doesn't know what it does. In a sense, doesn't even have control over itself. Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh without being one with sinful flesh. He was like us in every way. He was tempted like us in every way, and yet he did not sin. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh what we couldn't do for ourselves. So that's the person of Christ. And then he also points to the work of Christ, to be a sin offering, literally for sin, for sin. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. The power of sin did its absolute worst to Jesus on the cross. Jesus absorbed the penalty that you and I deserve on the cross. He was condemned so that it can be said of you instead of me, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how God did it. That's how God did it. Why did God do it? Look at verse four. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The reason for all this is not so that you and I can just go live our lives however we want to and just go about our business. God did this so that we would be empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit to live the life that we were intended to live, to be fully human in the sense that we reflect the goodness and the greatness and the glory of God to live the life that our ancestors, Adam and Eve, could have lived had they not transgressed God's command in the Garden of Eden. That's the life that we are empowered to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk more about the Holy Spirit and, and what that lifestyle looks like. But for now, I want you to know, we do need to remember our guilt. We need to learn from our transgressions. Don't forget that. Just like I will never forget what I did in that church fellowship hall, but we don't have to remain in our guilt and that feeling of guilt that is so overwhelming, that weighs us down. We don't have to live there. We don't have to remain there if we belong to Christ Jesus. So do you belong to Christ Jesus? Have you received what he has done for you in your place? Are you ready to claim 
that sentence, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because they have been set free by the law of the Spirit who gives life. I pray that you would receive that today as we go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we confess to you not because you don't already know our sins. You know the very worst of us. You know the things about us that we don't want anybody else to know. You see right through us. You see right through our pretensions. You see right through the mask that we put on to try to hide from other people. You know all of that. Lord, we confess, though, that we have sinned against you. And we confess that, not because you don't already know it, but because you want us to. You want us to be convicted. You want us to confess. You want us to repent, to acknowledge where we stand before you. Because you have promised us in your word that when we do that, we are prepared to hear the good news that that confession, that sin, that guilt doesn't have to have the last word over us, that you can speak a better word over us, a word of grace, a word of mercy, a word of kindness and love. Lord, help us to believe that the verdict is in, that we can be set free, all because of what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would receive that gift today and that we would cling to it with all that we have and all that we are. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube. We hope that this has been an encouragement and a blessing to you. If you have any questions, be sure to reach out by email. Have a wonderful week.